Good morning, Rachel Genfaza. Welcome on VH Berries. Hi, thank you for having me. I am very grateful. You are the definition of being laser focused on the subject. <laughs> Maybe, I guess so. I focus on young voters and youth political culture. I've been working at CNN since I graduated college in May of 2020. And ahead of the 2020 election, I mostly covered young voters um, leading up to then. And since then, I've been continuing to develop on youth political culture and also reporting on um, politics in general and campaign coverage. Absolutely, Rachel Genfaza, because you are uh, an associate writer at CNN uh, Politics, focusing on two very powerful subjects, young voters and political culture. Um, so basically what I do on the day to day is I reach out to sources, I try to get a sense of what's going on in the political zeitgeist of Gen Z and younger millennials, um, really anyone between the ages of 18 to 29 and a little bit older. Um, and I talk to both Democrats and Republicans and independents, everyone in between, people who don't feel that they have necessarily a political home um, in the current environment that we're living in, and try to figure out, you know, what young voters care about, what they want from their elected officials and their representatives, um, how they're getting involved in their local communities, and also how they're pressuring their elected officials to make change at the federal level, too. So... It is, every day is a little bit different. Um, there's always something new going on, whether it be a different protest or a different movement that's starting to form um, or a continuation of some of the work that we've already seen. And right now, getting ready for the 2022 midterm elections, we're less than a year away. And there's a lot of energy. Um, one of the big questions that people are asking is, whether or not young voters will turn out in the same numbers that they turned out in the 2018 midterm elections, which was very high youth voter turnout, and then in the 2020 election, which also saw high youth voter turnout. So without um, some of the same uh, context that we had, no, Do President Donald Trump is no longer president. We now have President Joe Biden, and so it'll be interesting to see Um, how young voters respond to that and whether or not they are as motivated to get to the ballot box next November. And in your job, as you just mentioned, every day is never the same because of the environment, uh, the very specific context. So it's a sort of adventure. It definitely is an adventure, and whatever the uh, whatever the House of Representatives and the Senate is doing, that oftentimes dictates what the environment is um, in D.C. in general. And but I also talk with young voters. I mostly talk with young voters who aren't in D.C., whether they're in Florida or in Wisconsin, California, New York, wherever they are, Texas, the middle of the country. Um, so it's it brings something new all the time. And by being in Washington, D.C., the heart of the uh, power in the United States of America, it helps you a lot. And I believe that you have to be on the terrain to investigate and to uh, discuss with, as you mentioned, the communities and politicians directly. 
Yes. So being in D.C., um, you're able to meet a lot of different people who are involved in all levels of government, um, whether it be people working in different uh, departments within the administration or um, whether it be people who are working on the Hill and who are a staff member for a member of Congress. Um, but then also just talking with people who work for different organizations or different um, policy groups or think tanks. And so being in D.C. definitely helps with that because you're able to talk with a lot of those people. But so I started my career back when I was um, in uh, college, I freelanced and I wrote a lot. And at the time, I would speak predominantly with college students. Um, and I still do a lot of that work. And so when I talk with those people, you know, it's making phone calls, it's being on Zooms. Um, and so for that, it doesn't really matter so much where I am, which I think we've all learned uh, as a result of the pandemic. But I'm hoping to, ahead of the midterms, actually get out to more campuses, get into more states um, and talk with voters on the ground there as well, instead of just making phone calls, which we've relied on a lot during the pandemic. Rachel and Jen Faza, I believe that it makes a lot of sense because if I'm not wrong, you're also part of this Generation Z. Yes. So I was born in 1997 and um, that is the cutoff for Gen Z. So yes, I'm a part of this generation. And I think a lot of the reason, <laughs> I think a lot of the reason why I am so interested in speaking to members of this generation who are even younger than I am is, um, I'm the oldest of four. And so my siblings have always been the biggest influence in my life and always hearing from them and their friends, you know, what was going on, even though there's only six years between my sister and I, who's the youngest of my siblings. Um, it was, It was crazy to me to see how, because I believe, I believe because of social media, um, we are able to have so many different, there's, there's basically different norms that exist for even just within two years apart, three years apart, four years apart. And so it's been fascinating to learn from, you know, members of Gen Z who are even just a little bit younger than I am, um, but can communicate in slightly different ways because of the way that social media and technology have just grown so quickly. Um, so yes, I'm definitely a part of this generation, but uh, I also consider myself to be a younger millennial as well. So it's right on the cusp and I write about both groups often. In addition to this point in your articles, I saw that you love to uh, mention uh, the impact of technology and social media. It was, of course, the subject of your thesis uh, back in college, but it's also very true in the last election and the midterms ahead. Yes. So I wrote my senior thesis in college on the role that social media played in youth-led social movements over the course of the past decade. So I looked between 2010 and 2020. Um, and I did four different case studies where I looked at different movements. Um, I looked at the Dreamers movement. I looked at the Black Lives Matter movement. But before George Floyd, I looked at um, the March for Our Lives and the gun violence prevention movement that started after the shooting in Parkland, Florida, um, at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And then I looked at the climate activist movement. Um, and with each of those different movements, there was really like different technologies that were being used. So, um, it started with Facebook and Twitter and then continued with Twitter growing into Instagram and Snapchat and then TikTok most recently. So these are obviously all social media platforms, but each of them allow for a slightly different form of communication, whether it be in uh, short form messaging or short form video, um, or pictures. And so, uh, then 
ahead of the 2020 election and what will continue into the midterms, I believe, um, we've seen a lot of engagement and activism on social media electorally, um, ways to engage with candidates, whether it be through Instagram Live or through, um, you know, TikTok. There is something called Talk the Vote ahead of the 2020 election um, to try to get voters registered. And so young people who are digital natives who were born and have used technology their whole lives for the most part are coming up with new and innovative ways to use technology to launch campaigns. Um, and so I think definitely the pandemic was uh, a major piece in why there was so much digital organizing ahead of the 2020 election because you know people were in their homes and couldn't necessarily knock on doors in the way that they have in prior campaign cycles. Um, but I also think that even without the pandemic, that would have still been going on because we saw that in 2018 as well, and we'll certainly see it in 2022. So um, researching and talking to and learning about the ways that both young people and older seasoned campaign staffers are using technology is really fascinating. Rachel Genfaza, I'm very curious about this talk the vote phenomenon on TikTok. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, so that was a specific group um, that started to try to get voters registered ahead of the 2020 election and they used TikTok and they, um, you know, were coming, they were maybe using creative dance moves or um, just text on screen, uh, trying to get their videos to reach as wide of an audience as possible. And they used TikTok because they thought, oh, this is a great place for us to engage with, you know, recently turned 18 year olds or people who are first time voters. And so because that's the primary audience that's on TikTok. And so um, they, they merged those two interests, I guess, or those two groups. And so they thought that was a, a smart place to be. Um, and they, they did reach a number of voters. And um, there were also a number of organizers who also used TikTok aside from that one particular group. That's a specific organization. But there were many different other youth-focused groups um, that were using TikTok because they thought, you know, why not reach the voters exactly where they are? So when they're sitting in their beds or in their rooms or wherever in their college dorm rooms, if they were there scrolling through TikTok and would come across a video that organically popped up on their screen that was about registering voters or about, you know, voting for a particular candidate, that would be a good place um, to put their energy. And then on top of that, there were a number of organizations and groups that got influencers to be involved with their organization or group. And um, these influencers have wide audiences that whether it be an influencer for, let's say, um, you know, well, uh, wellness and skincare and things like that, or whether it be an influencer for fashion or whether it be an athlete, um, all these different types of people who have their own followings. Uh, these campaigns and these groups would utilize those influencers to get them to talk about the issues that matter to them, whether it be climate or racial justice or um, healthcare. We were in a pandemic. We are in a pandemic. And so they would have them talk about the issues that matter to them most and why they believed it was important to get out and vote. And they figured it was the best place to reach young audiences by using TikTok. On top of what is called this youth political culture, there is also something that is very important, which is activism. 
Yes. So I think that, um, you know, young people have always been activists, have always been activated. Um, but we've seen a lot of youth activism over the course of the past 10 years. And especially kids in high school, um, not just at the college level, people who are even not able to vote yet. Um, and so people who are in high school or and are below the age of 18 and can't necessarily make their voice heard at the ballot box, they can still take to the streets. They can still protest. We saw it with youth-led climate strikes. We've seen it with March for Our Lives and students marching um, in in protest of mass school shootings um, and advocating for more gun violence prevention legislation. Um, these are young people who you know, they, they don't yet have the ability to cast a ballot in elections, and yet they are still getting the attention of elected officials by their activism, through their activism, through their words, through making phone calls, through holding protests, um, social media as well. Rachel Jenfaza, I believe that you are always overwhelmed by all the news around you because you are working at CNN, for example. Um, how do you read the newspaper? What is your sort of morning routine? Do you try something to create a sort of bubble to uh, isolate yourself to work or something? So you're right. Uh, I constantly am consuming news. A lot of it actually comes through the form of my email. Um, and so whether that be through notes from people that I work with um, or through news alerts or through newsletters, um, that's a lot of how I consume my news. But then also when I'm at my office, which I go to um, now as much as possible, There are multiple different screens and monitors up, so we have on all different channels. Um, so we're watching cable news. Uh, so I consume I consume cable, which maybe is rare for Gen Z, but I do work at cable at the cable news network. So, um, but you know, I think whether it be through, I also use Twitter a lot and am constantly scrolling, um, seeing what reporters are tweeting. Um, I also try to read local news. So in states where there might be an election coming up or a primary or something like that, I think it's important to read uh, the local news to get a sense of what's going on the ground there. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't say that I have one specific format for how I consume my news each day, but I try to keep up with as much as possible, as consistently as possible. Um, and then, of course, also on, I mentioned Twitter, but social media too. And I scroll through TikTok to try to see what young people are talking about when it comes to politics or Instagram, where, you know, that's more curated. I see more what my friends are talking about. Um, but I think, you know, I try to watch as many different media platforms as possible to keep up with what's going on. And after all this year, for example, at Teen Vogue, MTV, uh, News, Vice News, and now CNN, what lessons have you uh, took from all of this year, for example, concerning uh, the politicians, if they are listening to the youth or other type of general observations? Yeah, I mean, I think it is clear that young people have been effective in making their voices heard. Um, if you take something like, for example, with um, the climate action that's been going on, and there are legislators every single day talking about climate, um, and there are legislators who meet with young people regularly, the White House meets with young people regularly. And so I think that um, 
there has in recent, at least since I've been covering it, there's been a lot of conversation and interaction between elected officials and young people. A lot of the young people I talk to would say they would like to see more. Um, and they tell me all the time, you know, we would like to be reached out to more from our elected officials or from campaigns. Um, but I think they would also, I mean, they do tell me that they also have conversations with their leaders. And so I think, you know, young people will always be pushing the envelope, be pushing further, will want to have more of those conversations, um, and be brought into the process of building legislation and policy. Um, but I've written about a number of times when, leaders have had those conversations with young people, for example, with the pandemic, um, even with the vaccine rollout. Um, Dr. Fauci was going on TikTok or was doing lives and making TikToks um, with influencers and creators. Um, there were also times when, for example, um, during the 2020 election, uh, member uh, people who are candidates, now members of, of Congress, candidates who are running at the time, were holding uh, live conversations in town halls with young constituents. And um, that was something that uh, young people were appreciative of. And so there definitely is communication between young people and um, their elected officials. I'm sure that you are going to release a book very soon. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> not, not yet. Maybe one day, but I don't have any plans for that right now. And Rachel Genfaza, to come back to the activism, there are some examples. For example, the Parkland uh, school shooting in Florida and also other very important subjects. So on a daily basis, how do you, for example, select all of these uh, headlines? Um, so for the most part, I just try to see what's gaining national attention um, and what stories there are to be told. But I also try to look for a youth angle with everything. So I'll give you an example with um, last January, there were uh, the Georgia Senate runoff elections and everyone was talking about them. But one story that I did that or two different stories, actually, that I did that weren't getting as much national attention were looking at um, the number of 18 year olds who had turned 18 since the general election in November. So they weren't able to vote in the general election for 2020. But they were able to vote in the special election because they had turned 18 since election day. So that was like one example. Um, another example that also had to do with that was that despite the election being in Georgia, um, voters from across the country, even people who weren't yet able to vote, were getting involved. They were calling and texting into Georgia. They were even using dating apps to talk to voters in Georgia, um, changing their location <laughs> settings. Yeah. They were using all these creative techniques, um, TikTok, as we mentioned before, um, different various ways of communicating with people. So that's one example there. Um, I think, um, Other examples of how, you know, when even when the California recall election was happening um, this September, also talking to young voters who had turned 18 before the recall, they were able to vote in that. So there's always a way to kind of find the youth angle. Young people are always involved in some capacity. And so, um, you know, whenever there's a national news story, there's a way to look at it through the lens of a young voter. Twice, you just mentioned a very interesting word, angle. Yeah, so an angle is like the um, the way that you look at a story that's specific to the group that you cover. So 
let's say that you're a climate reporter, you're going to be looking at how a certain piece of legislation will affect um, climate, the climate. Um, if you are a healthcare reporter, same thing goes there. Um, so because I focus on young voters and youth political culture, um, any story that is a national story, I try to find the way. When I say angle, it's really just how is that affecting the constituency that I'm writing about. So if you look at the infrastructure package and the Build Back Better bill that's being negotiated right now, um, maybe by the time this episode comes out, it, it will have passed the House at least. Um, but um, it it may not, by the way. Um, but um, the with that, like I think about how do young voters respond to that? And so one story that I'm working on at the moment is looking at how young voters feel about these negotiations that have been taking place in Congress for months. Um, and so even though on the surface of things, when you look at that story, it's a congressional story and the congressional reporters have for months been covering it. Um, there's a way for me to think about covering that story as well. And so that's what I try to do when I say angle. That's what I mean. Absolutely. And Rachel Genfaza, can you tell me about uh, another particular uh, faces of what you are doing every day? Because I guess that you are facing sometimes some pressure and criticism. So how do you handle all of this? When, when you say criticism, you mean criticism from who? From uh, the readers yeah. and some groups, for example. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just wanted to clarify a little bit. Um, Yeah, I mean, there are, there are always going to be people who have questions about or critiques of what you write. Um, I try as best as I can to talk to, um, as many different types of people to form my stories using quotes as possible. And so these aren't, you know, when I'm writing a story, it's not my words. It's, it's, I'm just presenting what has been told to me. And so I, tr I try to do that as best as possible. Um, and, you know, people are always going to have thoughts, but that's kind of just the par for the course. Um, and it's, it's been a great learning experience to, you know, uh, try to present it as accurately as possible and then to see what the, um, response from readers is. And for example, uh, this last week on November uh, 16, you published your last article, which were talking about uh, Chris Christie. Yes. So um, I was able to write about an interview that um, one of my uh, colleagues, Dana Bash, did with Chris Christie. So I wrote about comments that he made to her in an episode um, of a show that she created called Being that came out. So I, I wrote about the comments that um, the conversation that they had. And if I'm correct, in the next couple of days, you're going to publish a paper about the midterm election that you just mentioned before. Yes, yeah, so I'm working on a story about how young voters, young progressives in particular, are feeling ahead of the midterm elections. Um, I won't give anything away, but, um, you know, I'm going to be keeping my ear to the ground on how young people are feeling both. This time it's a story about young progressives, people on the left, but I'm also going to be writing about young Republicans, of course, ahead of the midterms and how they're feeling too. Um, and I'm really just trying to get a sense of, you know, as as we spoke about in the beginning of our conversation, 
uh, whether or not young people will be as motivated to vote in 2022 as they were during the midterm elections in 2018 and 2020. Um, and that is a question that, you know, time will tell. We, we won't know until, until after that election. Um, but I'm going to try to get a sense from young people how they're feeling about that, whether or not they're excited to turn out, what issues are motivating them to the polls. Um, obviously, given the pandemic, that will be something that, yes, it was a huge part of the 2020 election, and it will be a huge part of the 2022 midterms because it's still going on. So for the story that I'm working on right now, uh, again, people are talking about the pandemic. They're talking about um, the many different crises that they feel uh, are or our country is facing right now, whether it be healthcare, whether it be climate, um, whether it be immigration, uh, these are, these are the primary issues that they raise when I talk to young people about what they care about going into 2022. To better understand what is happening in the USA, you also have to uh, be interested in, uh, the world. Uh, is it something that you are regularly doing? Um, for example, reading about foreign policies and their relationship with the United States. Yeah, so I'm focused on American politics, but of course, um, read international news as well. And if you look at, um, you know, this summer when um, there was the withdrawal from Afghanistan, that was something that young voters were talking about and still talk about. Um, I just spoke with a young voter the other day who told me that um, during the 2020 election, one of the issues that she cared about most was the Iran deal. So yes, foreign policy is definitely something that um, young people across the country are paying attention to as well. Rachel Janfaza, if you need someone to ask questions to for, uh, for example, a survey, I am available. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time. I'm wishing you the best. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be on with you.